You know, I recently started, I'm just going to tell you a story. I recently started uh, assistant coaching my son's t-ball team, and he's five. And I'll say that trying to get a room full of people who really love one another and who want to uh, extend the grace and peace of each other is kind of like coaching my son's t-ball team. <laughs> can't, can't get him to come back. Uh, I hope I, you're not insulted. And uh, if you are, send all your emails to Amy Jill. I'd love to teach you a new refrain as we, as we start our new series. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be with you. By his love, he will do the work of rebuilding. Come on, sing shout for joy. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to from the book of Zechariah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be Mars Hill. So today is a significant day in the life of our church. And it is so good to be with you on today. Thanks be to God for God's faithfulness. As you can see, I dressed up for the occasion. Okay? I'll tell you why. Because this is what many of us have looked like over the past year and some change on our Zoom meetings. 
If we're keeping it really real, go ahead, confess, you've done the Zoom mullet, business up top, pajama athleisure on bottom. Am I right? But friends, this is also what it looks like to be partially present. From here up, I'm ready. Unmute, let's go. But from here down, I'm still in bed watching Netflix. Or for some of you, it's you're reading a book. You're still on the couch scrolling through Instagram, some of you watching on Facebook Live right now. Even though you and I are technically there on the Zoom screen. I mean, has anyone else done this or is it really just me? Have you done this on Zoom? Thank you. Thank you for being honest, Megan. Thank you. Um, even though we're technically there on the Zoom screen, the fullness of our presence is not, right? The fullness of our presence is not. We're starting a new series in the book of Zechariah. At the same time, we're starting a new location of Mars Hill Bible Church right here in Grand Rapids. Zechariah, he's an Old Testament prophet writing after God's people have returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. And he and another prophet, Haggai, are motivating people. They're motivating people to rebuild God's house, the temple, and to look for God fulfilling the promises he'd already given to them. So the book is filled with eight visions, some of them quite odd at first read and second read and third read, that God gives Zechariah for his people. There's a lot we could dive into when it comes to this book. And we won't cover all of it over the next five weeks. But one resource that our teaching team has really leaned into to really refocus the whole point, the foundation of this book is the Bible Project. They have a great online summary. If you'd like to dive deeper, it's a short video. So if you go home tonight and watch that, you'll get a better understanding of the full overview of the book. But I believe one of the messages from the heart of God through the prophet Zechariah to his people in 520 BC is an on-time message from the heart of God to us here today. And that message is that despite the circumstances... Despite the wavering and wandering, the vacillation of God's people, despite their faithlessness, God is faithful to comfort his people when it comes to waiting on his promises. See, a different prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, had prophesied that the Israelites' land would become ruins and that they would serve the king of Babylon for 70 years because of their disobedience. But that then God would visit them and bring them back to Jerusalem. This is in Jeremiah 29. If you go to Jeremiah 29.10, there's a very famous verse that we like to quote right after it in Jeremiah 29.11. And so the exiles have now returned to Jerusalem. They're not being overruled by the Babylonians anymore. But life back home is not easy. There's a sense of incompleteness. There's a sense of longing for relief. They're questioning whether or not they were going to be used again and mistreated again, this time by somebody else. I imagine the people were still looking at ruined lands and piecing their livelihoods back together, their fortunes 
back together, having to rebuild in more way than one, while enduring a temple that was only partially rebuilt, thinking, where is this righteous branch that will spring up to execute justice on our behalf? Where is what God promised us? See, the people were physically in Jerusalem. Log in, password, unmute, right? But in heart, they were only partially present, longing for a promise to come to completion, rebuilding lives in the presence of former ruins. Their hearts were somewhere else. They were teetering on the edge of distrust, perhaps tempted to grasp for other sources of comfort, control, and security. Here they were present in Jerusalem physically, but here their hearts were not. And isn't this the tension in us too, church? Some of us are physically here in the shed, watching online from your home, from your your living room. But our heart is somewhere else. Our kids, our to-do lists, our pain, our lunch. Some of us show up to work, but our hearts are somewhere else, wondering why our careers or our college majors aren't cutting it, asking if we'll ever feel whole and complete from our work. Some of us show up in our marriages, our dating life, our friendships, at Sunday family dinner, but our heart is only partially present because we can't shake the sense of lingering loneliness or anxiety. We show up to a church, but ask, is any of this real? Where are the real followers of Jesus who don't need platforms, ego, or arguments to make a case? Where are they? The tension the people of God felt on the other side of exile, being there but still wondering in heart if the promise would actually come to fulfillment, is a tension that some of us are walking every single day where we show up, but our hearts can't be seen. And through this book, Mars Hill, God comforts. God comforts. If you're in need of a particular kind of comfort this morning, it's available. In the first chapter of Zechariah, we immediately can see God comforting the Jews through the prophet. He comforts them despite two scenarios. The generational sins of the past and the incomplete picture of the future. In just a few short verses, and we'll walk through each one. Perhaps you need comfort despite the past. Perhaps you need comfort in the face of an incomplete future, too. So this first scenario, the generational sins of the past. In verses 2 and 4 of the introduction that Lori read for us this morning, Zechariah tells the Jews that the Lord had been very angry with their fathers. And he tells them why. They didn't hear or pay attention when God commanded they return from their evil ways and deeds. The prophet tells us later in chapter 7 that they made their hearts diamond hard against God's word to them through the former prophets. And this wasn't the first time 
Time and again, people didn't listen. From Genesis in the garden to their forefathers in the wilderness coming out of Egypt into the promised land, by now, wouldn't God be tired of this? Would God not be tired of this by now? Parents, caregivers, maybe y'all's kids listen all the time. But let me tell you, 48 hours ago, Delwyn and I caught one of our kids doing something we'd repeatedly told them not to do. Crawling under the bed, hunting dust bunnies, okay? And this kid just recently tested to be wildly allergic to dust. So no wonder the eyes are, are firmly shut each and every night because you keep crawling under the bed hunting for dust bunnies. It got to the point where for a split second, I wondered if the child had earwax buildup. But I couldn't comprehend why this junior human could not foresee the consequences of their actions that we were telling them would surely come if they did not listen. And I'll tell you what, on the fourth time, I gave up. I proverbially threw my hands up, or maybe I literally threw my hands up, and I kept going about my business because I couldn't figure it out. Some of us would have gone to a different extreme, revving all the way up with frustration or anger time and time again. Generation after generation after generation after generation, God's people rebelled and complained and murdered, were greedy, worshipped false gods, rejected God, were unjust, were prideful, and you know what God didn't do? He didn't throw his hands up on his people. He got really close with Noah. He was angry, yes. There were consequences. Yes, we don't like to talk about those. We don't like to talk about that part. We'll get to God's judgment in a different week of this series, but this is what we have to understand about the wrath of God. God's anger towards sin is righteous, not petty or irrational like ours. God's anger isn't like our anger. The wages of sin is death, but God's anger doesn't sever his heart from his people. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Some of us don't know that kind of parent because anger equaled disowning. Anger equaled an irreparable disgust. Anger equaled excommunication. And to this day, for some people, perhaps some people in this room or watching online, generations of whole, healthy relationship have been impacted exactly because that anger severed hearts. Some grandparents, you haven't met your grandkids. Whole sides of families are separated and the next generation is paying the price for the sins of the past. Some of us are living out that reality. If not us, perhaps people we know. But God isn't like us. He's not partially present. 
Despite the sins of the forefathers, despite the mess they made, God doesn't say ruined. He says return. He says return. Family, what word are you hearing, thus saith the Lord this morning? Ruined or return in his perfect, holy righteousness, God comforts. God comforts where generational sins of pride or relational immorality are so evident in our own families. God comforts when generational sins of greed, injustice, or abuse of power are evident in our own cities, nation, and the church. We have a father who sees the fullness of who we are and the word isn't ruined. The word isn't ruined. He doesn't say that. He comforts. Some of you just needed to hear that today. Some of you just needed to hear that part today. We have a God who in his kindness leads us to repentance who cares about his people so much that he says, there's room for you, despite your tomfoolery, to return. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. In Hebrew, this word return means to turn back. In the New Testament, it's metanoia, the word we use for repentance. It's Mark 1.15, when after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and began his ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's Luke 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. When Luke said to the younger son, when Luke said about the younger son, that after he was running home and spending all of his money and eating the slop of the pigs, he came to the fullness of himself. He came to the fullness of himself. He arose and physically went home to his father. God the Father comforts. He calls us to return home. What word are you hearing, church? Ruined or return? So God comforts his people despite the generational sins of the past, and he also does so despite the incomplete picture of the future. Well, what about the present, you ask? I'll tell you about the present. We have here in verses 1 through 6 of Zechariah an intro of sorts. It's not until three months later when Zechariah starts having these visions, but presently it's 18 years after the exiles have returned. And like we said earlier, things aren't easy. We might say that they had a lot of questions. Do you have a lot of questions presently? I know I do. Chiefly about this pandemic ending, for one. But maybe you have questions about job security, about suffering. Perhaps you have questions presently about the school, the welfare of your kids, or your neighborhood, your community, the state of a key relationship, questions about your own self-worth, and if anyone sees you. The Jews have questions, because they were promised restoration and the realization of a Davidic Messiah. 
But presently here, we're told in verse 1, it's the eighth month of the second year of Darius. Okay, let's talk about Darius. He was the king of Persia. He was supportive of the rebuilding of the temple, and yet Zechariah has this vision starting in verse 7. The vision is of a man riding on a horse, and this man says in verses 10 and 11, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. These people riding on horseback. They have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and at peace. Seems like it'd be a good thing for all the world to be at rest and at peace, right? But no, we have a problem. Persian couriers would ride around on horses and patrol the districts of the empire, maintaining what scholars know to be one of the most efficient communication systems in the world at the time. But the fact that in this vision that we see in chapter 1, the earth is at rest means that the Persians are reporting that all in the empire is at peace. They're reporting that Darius is preventing revolts. However, peace for the Persians means a delayed promise for the Jews. It means the hope they had in a new Messiah's reign is either not happening or will take longer than they want. It means, as scholar Mike Butterworth puts it, nations that have oppressed Judah seem to be getting away with it. In the present, they had a lot of questions because their hope for the future seems to be an incomplete picture. Question for you. What incomplete picture of the future is hampering your hope today, church? I tell you where this hits me. There's still too much death. Death is overwhelming to me. People are still dying from COVID-19. India is reporting 350,000 new cases. That's just reported. Some people project there are actually 10 times more people suffering from COVID-19 than are reported per day, per day. Closer to home, a dear family friend just lost their mom to cancer this past Friday. Close friends in their 20s back in Houston just lost a parent suddenly two weeks ago. Church, loss and grief is hampering some of our hope for the future. And I love that we took a moment to pray for that this morning. For those of us who don't know what our future looks like without certain people, without neighbors, family members, spouses, kids, we can't see a future without them. But then closer to what the Jews may have been experiencing, there are these questions about freedom and justice. People are who are oppressing other people seem to be getting away with it. Human trafficking and exploitation, systemic realities leading to homelessness, unequal pay and increasing wealth gap and mass incarcerations with little hope of restoration and rehab. What's our future? What's our future for true racial unity grounded in truth telling and repair? 
What's our future when it comes to ensuring families and parents have the resources they need to parent and to parent well? What's our future in education, in welcoming the stranger, in the church shining forth a credible witness in spiritual revival and a fresh, renewed sense of awe and hope and the life-altering power of the cross of Jesus Christ? What is our future? We might be asking the same thing the angel of the Lord is in verse 12. It's the same question we prayed this morning. How long? How long? How much longer? And yet the Lord answers, verse 13, to the angel, kind and comforting words. Despite the generational sins of the past, despite the incomplete picture of the future, God comforts. Comfort is available to his people. This series is called Dreams and Visions, and though we're exploring Zechariah's visions, I wonder what this message says about our own. Maybe your dream is for some sense of comfort from the mouth of God to whatever situation you're going through today. You want God to speak on the other side of your past or to the other side of your future. But for Mars Hill, for Mars Hill Grand Rapids embarking to be a Jesus people for the sake of the world, my dream that I hope we share is for us to return for us to return fully as God intended for his church, to resist the spiritual Zoom mullet, being partially present as God's church, and to start showing up in full view with our whole entire hearts, our whole entire lives. It's the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Remember the prodigal son who returned home in Luke 15? He didn't just return to his physical house. He didn't just return to his father's house. What were the words he spoke to his father? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Showed up fully present in heart, exposing all of him to his father. Church, to show up in full view will require more than attendance to a building or gatherings one day a week. But as the living, reconciling, healing, forgiving, radically loving, truth-telling, servant-leading, proximity-seeking, hope-delivering, pain-relieving people of God, it requires turning from what we've wasted Ego, pride, energy, years, resources, our sense of control. It'll require coming to ourselves once we realize we've been feeding on the scraps of social media and news that isn't good news. And it'll require the full humility of heart to say, we got this wrong. We got this wrong and we're coming home. Not just to rebuild your temple, God, but we're coming home to you in heart. Parenthetically, there were two brothers. 
There's the younger and the older brother. I'd argue that the second returned in a different way. He was already home, serving his father, doing everything he was supposed to do. He was doing everything he was supposed to do. But his return was to his brother. Church, my second dream is that we return to the heart of God, yes, but that as the church, we walk out what it means to return to each other, to celebrate when the dead live, when the lost are found, and to stop worrying about the things that the Father didn't worry about. Do you hear ruined or return? What incomplete picture is hampering your hope and what dreams are now possible when assured by the comfort of God? Can I tell us something this morning? One more thing. There's this New York Times article put out recently by an author and leadership expert, Adam Grant. And he talked about how 2021 might be the year of languishing, where we're not quite depressed, but we're not flourishing either. And my guess is that this place of languishing that many of us might find ourselves in has put a cap on our ability to dream. And perhaps today, in light of God's ability to comfort you despite the past and in the face of all the questions we still have about the future, you might tiptoe into dreaming again. Dreaming about what's possible, not just for your life, but for us, the body, the church, what she does at her best, how she shines at her brightest, how she reflects the heart of God when the world is so dark. Church, what dreams might we start dreaming again? Even in this place that seems so desolate to so many people, church, God comforts. The last part of this passage is yet another reassurance. God says, I will, I will go to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. He tells them the promise will come to fruition, lest you thought it wouldn't. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Again, 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 time and again, the people messed it up. We messed it up. We mess it up. But the good news is that Christ paid what we should have and that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be comforted, church. Time and again, just as he comforted the exiles, he's comforting us. God is faithful to do what God said he would do. Do not forget that. So today it's time it's time to cease being partially present, being hidden in a part of who we are as the body of Christ. It's time to return home full in heart to our Father. So now we come to the point in our liturgy where we get to this other expression of God's comfort. One might call it a comfort meal. Here we are at table where Jesus again comforts his people even despite what is to come. 
So may we remember who God is, despite of and in light of who we are, despite of what the world throws at us. Church, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke this and said, take and eat all of you. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come, Holy Spirit. Would you infuse this meal to be nourishment and comfort for our hearts, minds, bodies, and soul today? Show us what's available to us through the table. Do what you've done generation after generation. Do it again today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, we are joined by brothers and sisters across the world who also perhaps need some comfort in different ways than we might. And yet we get a chance to join our voices in solidarity to proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So church, all is ready. If you're new with us here in the shed, we've got tables in the back toward the prayer walls. Take your time and receive who you are the body of Christ. 